Well, good morning. Hey, okay, good morning. <laughs> I'm going to do, do that when I'm up there playing, and I'm going to do it now. I'm sorry. All right, so we are continuing our Tough Questions uh, series, apologetic series, that um, we had the little cards, and you guys asked questions. And last time we did, um, we did uh, How Does God Make Something Out of Nothing, and dealt a little bit with dinosaurs and fun stuff like that. So today we are going to be dealing with two questions. One of them is kind of the main question, and the other one is kind of a subset of the primary one. And they, they were phrased like this. Why does such bad, so much bad happen to good people? And uh, does God just set us up to fail? And I think the first one we can, we can kind of rearrange and say, usually it's put, why does God allow so much bad to happen uh, to good people? And then the second one, uh, couldn't God have prevented us from sinning or failing morally or doing bad things uh, in our lives? <clears throat> I think those are good ways to rephrase those. Um, so let me ask this question. Uh, what are bad things? Name some bad. I'm going to pull a Jason. I'm going I'm to write it on the board. Name some bad things that happen. Death. Okay. Death. And I can't write either. You won't understand my handwriting, but I am writing up here. Paleo Hebrew, thank you. What's something else bad? Sickness. James. Accidents. Losing job. Unemployment. I am. I can't spell like Jason either, so we share many attributes. Anything else? Huh? Genocide. Yeah. Natural disasters. All right. <clears throat> so the the word we used was bad thing and the question was bad things. What's some what are some synonyms for bad? Something another word that works for bad. Negative, yeah. There's one in particular I'm looking for. Evil. Evil. Like Dr. Evil. <laughs> so, when we talk about this question, this why, why does so much bad happen to good people? Or why do, uh, why do bad things happen to me? It's, it's actually a very complex question. Um, it's usually referred to as the problem of evil. Um, and it's been something that, that people have asked for. Uh, it's not just Christians who deal with this. It's something that's, you know, uh, uh, Hindus and Buddhists and you know, everybody across the world kind of deals with. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I chose this one, because this is something that you'll run into with people that are in your daily lives. So as Christians, we struggle with this. And as Christian, and, and with people who aren't Christians, they struggle with it as well. So we need to have some good answers with it. And as we're kind of going through and answering the first one, I think we'll be able to shed some light on that second question. So, <clears throat> what about, how does the rest of the world view, uh, kind of look at the problem, this problem of evil, problem of pain and suffering? Well, <clears throat> if you were a Buddhist, you would say something like, uh, this life is just an illusion, uh, and the aim of life is to escape it. You're trying to uh, achieve a, another level. They, they call it nirvana. 
Um, so, and, and that's kind of a good understanding. There's different views within Buddha, Buddha, Buddhism, but that, that's a pretty good view. So you're trying to get beyond the illusion of this life. If you're a Hindu, on the other hand, and Buddhism kind of stems out of Hinduism, if you're a Hindu, you look at life uh, as the, the evil, the bad things that happen in this life. You're looking at them as things that you're kind of paying penance for, things that you did in a previous life. So to prevent, because, you know, you, you basically you have a life, then you die, and then you start over another life. And so that you don't have these bad things happening in your next life, you want to do good things. You know, you guys ever heard of karma? I mean, that's pretty normal. So you're trying to get, you know, karma works in a certain way, and you're trying to do good things so that in your next life, whoever you end up being, you don't have these bad things happening. So evil is just part of life, and you try to do as much good as you can so that in your next life you don't have to deal with it. <clears throat> in the Muslim world, it's a little kind of difficult because they have a few different views, but I think overall um, a Muslim view would say something like, uh, the world is in such a state of wickedness because the message of Allah through Muhammad has not yet spread to all the people in the world. And the solution for this is for Islam to be brought to the world. And that can be brought by, you know, some people try to bring Islam in a more radical way and some in a more peaceful way. It depends on, you know, what background they have. Um, but that, I think that's how they would solve that issue and how they would view it. Now, if you're more of an atheist or humanist type person and you don't believe in, in a God or you're agnostic about a God, you could say bad things are just part of life and we'll fix them as we progress and we, you know, we get smarter and we get technology and eventually we'll have starships and things and cool stuff and we'll eventually you know, every, make everything better. You know? uh, we'll eventually figure out through medicine how to live longer. Um, or you could say evil isn't really evil. Uh, it is an effect of random events of life. Um, there's, a, there's a popular atheist. He's not so popular now amongst the atheists because he said some stupid stuff, but he's been popular for a while. His name's Richard Dawkins. And he said, he said this once, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't, have, uh, you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if, they, if there's at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, uh, but blind and pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Um, you know, so I, I read this, and I was like, wow, I wonder what would happen if I went to Richard Dawkins' house, which you know, I'd have to go to England to do that, but if, if I went to Richard's house, and I kind of broke in, and smashed the place up, and then I grabbed Richard, and I just slapped him around a little bit, you know, ha, 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 Richard, and I threw him down, you know, I wonder what he would do, and, you know, and if he got mad at me, I'm like, I would be like, well, Richard, I'm just dancing to my DNA, I don't know what your problem is, you know, just get over it, man, um, <clears throat> but that's one view you could have, and I think that's kind of a logical progression of some kind of uh, bad forms of atheism. Um, but that, that's another way you can handle it. So the question that we have to deal with today is how, as Christians, do we deal this, with this problem of evil and pain and suffering? Because it's kind of evident it's around the world. Um, to do that, first we have to establish some things. First we have to establish what do we believe about God? 
What are some attributes that we all as Christians would agree about uh, for God? So number one, <clears throat> most Christians would say God is all-powerful, okay? So God, uh, the, the word in theology that we use is omnipotence. That means he's all-powerful. And Jeremiah 32, it says, Ah, O Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and you have great power by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. And goes on to say, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And in Matthew, uh, and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we have a general idea through Scripture that <clears throat> God is an all-powerful being, super-powerful, beyond anything we can comprehend. Likewise, we also believe that God is all-good. And the big word there is omnibenevolence, and that just means he's all good. Um, when you start using the omni words, people get really confused and scared. So we, I try not to use those words, but in case anybody ever uses them, that's what they mean. All good, all powerful. Uh, so in Psalm 25, uh, it says, God uh, is good and upright is the Lord. Uh, Psalm 34, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And Mark 10, no one is good except God alone. So Scripture kind of paint, paints a picture of God as being kind of the standard of good, um, if you will. We know what something is good by being able to compare it to something else, right? It is good not to, um, well, let's see, Starbucks coffee is better than Waffle House coffee. Dunkin' Donuts coffee is better than Starbucks coffee, but we have a standard that I compare it by. My coffee at my house that I make is better than all of those, in my opinion. <clears throat> but we have to have something to compare these things to. So God is kind of our standard of goodness that we compare uh, other things to. Uh, so he is all good. And the last thing that's important for this discussion is uh, that God is all-knowing. The omni word is omniscient. So in Job 28, it says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Uh, and in Hebrews, it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to, uh, to the eyes of him with whom we must give account. So God is all-powerful. He can do lots of stuff that we can't do. Um, God is, um, is all good, and then he's all-knowing. So, Generally, when this problem is stated, this problem of evil or good and pain and suffering, uh, it's stated in such a way. It's laid out, it says, so if an all-knowing, all-good, and all-powerful God exists, then he wouldn't allow evil. There's evil in the world, therefore God does not exist. That's basically what the question is asking, in a sense, if you put it into a statement, and a lot of people have said, you know, kind of stated it out this way. And like I said earlier, this isn't a new thing. Uh, Augustine wrote about uh, evil and, and, and free will and things in 4th century A.D., I think, is when Augustine was alive. So it started a long time ago. People have been writing about it for years. People still write books today. Uh, I just saw a new book that came out dealing with this issue. <clears throat> and there's a lot of good ones out there. So people have been struggling with this issue. Really, really smart people. And, you know, your average person struggles with it as well and in different ways. Um, <clears throat> in popular culture, 
do we see this? Do we see this problem of evil and good and suffering in popular culture? And I would say, yeah, if you look around, you can find evidence of it. Now, <clears throat> I usually turn to, you know, modern-day theologians, guys that, you know, just kind of get to the heart of the matter with a, a you know, common man. And such people as that are uh, my good friends uh, Dean and Sam Winchester. You know, these guys are great theologians. Okay, nobody's getting the joke. <laughs> it's from a, from a show, Supernatural. So I, I like tying things to shows on, on TV a lot. So uh, anybody watch the show, come on, fess up. I can't, yes, I'm not the only one. All right. <clears throat> so the premise of su- Supernatural is these two brothers and their dad, and they have some friends that do it as well, they basically hunt monsters. They, there's bad guys, and they hunt them down and take, them, take care of them. You know, all kinds of different bad guys, you know. You know, scary vampires and, and werewolves and, and get eventually into things like <clears throat> angels and demons. And it gets kind of gory sometimes, but they're fighting the bad. That's what they're doing, or at least that's what they're attempting to do. And it's interesting to me because as they're going through and they're seeing all these crazy things happening, dealing with these crazy situations that are just kind of mind-blowing, and that, you know, normal people on the show, they're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're used to it, and uh, you have to have the, the silver bullet for this, or whatever. So these guys go in and deal with all these t- types of situations, and even despite the fact that they're dealing with all these weird things, over and over, there's a theme, especially with the character Dean, where he says, I see all this bad in the world, I, I just... And I can't believe, with all this bad, that there's not a God who would come down. If he, if he existed, he would come down and fix all this. And like in, a, in, the same, in the same episode, this character is like fighting demons alongside of angels. And at the same time, he's like, I still can't believe in God. And I, I think that's reflective of some people in the, this culture. Even, this, if, even if they saw something supernatural, they wouldn't be able to believe. Um, so we see it there. And if that's a little too lowbrow for you guys... I know, it's, you know, it's super, it's the WB, well, it used to be the WB, now CW, but kind of lowbrow. If we need to go a little headier, we can go to my good friend, Dr. Walter Bishop, uh, from the TV show Fringe, yes. I'm a sci-fi guy, I don't know if you guys have figured that out. (coughs) So, Fringe is another one of those great shows where just kooky things are happening all the time. And uh, Walter Bishop is a character, he's kind of loony. Um, he's a brilliant guy, but he's kind of lost it a little bit, and uh, he, he, he's been on a little too much LSD and some other weird drugs that he met, invented himself. But uh, throughout the show, they encounter things that just aren't, you can't explain with normal science, right? And Walter does some really amazing things and some cool stuff. And at one point, uh, he invents something um, where he can see into an alternate universe, and it's pretty cool. And his son, at the, around the same time, his son dies, gets sick, and dies. And he sees uh, his other son, which his son in the alternate universe, is also getting sick. And his self in the alternate universe, didn't, like he couldn't, he, he's not fixing it. So Walter crosses over to the universe and saves this other son, who then becomes, he stays with him and becomes his son, and he raises him at his own, as his own. On a later point, this kid, uh, Peter, which is the guy down here with the flashlight, actually dies in the show. <coughs> and he comes back to life. It's crazy. <coughs> um, he, he comes back to life, and they still don't believe in God. But anyway, uh, 
Walter is talking with a friend of his and, and having this conversation. The guy says, Walter, you used to be so optimistic, but these bad things happened to you. And you said you couldn't believe in a God that will allow your son to die, let alone twice. So rather than believing in that God, you decided that you know, we could be gods ourselves through science. We could change the world through science and be gods ourselves, and we didn't have to worry about that God. Um, and that's also kind of reflective of our culture. So it's not something that was just dealt with you know, a couple hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. Uh, it's, it's still dealt with on the average level, and you can see it all throughout um, our culture. Now, I want to differentiate when we talk about pain and suffering and evil. There's two ways that kind of overlap how people deal with it. There's an emotional side of dealing with this, this struggle, and there's an intellectual side. Now, when we as Christians, if we're... If we're, if we're um, uh, dealing with people in our lives, and we're trying to m- minister to people in our lives, we have to be careful of how we approach this when we're talking about evil, pain, and suffering. So, <clears throat> on the emotional side, let me give you for instance. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, I, I helped somebody move this weekend. I'm not talking about how I'm feeling because I helped somebody move. I'm very sore and in pain, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, when pe- somebody... Uh, is suffering through cancer or somebody is suffering loss uh, of, a, of a, a loved one. <clears throat> when I was in my mid to early 20s, I had a younger sister who passed away. And she had been sick for a while, but we thought she was doing better and was recovering. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm at work, and I get a call from my dad. And he says, um, Amy passed away. And it was unexpected and surprising. And... Uh, dealing with that at that time, I didn't, I really didn't have this, you know, God, do you really exist type experience, but I had just this strong pain and and anger, not at God, just anger in general, and at that time when I was dealing with that, I didn't need somebody to come up and say, hey, these are some solutions philosophically or theologically to this problem you're dealing with. God could, you know, fix it this way. Um, This is why God allowed this to happen. I needed someone to comfort me. I needed hope. I needed love. I needed someone to be near me and just, and just say, you know, hey, it'll be okay. And in some, some instances, people are dealing with that. And with them, we need to share the love of Christ. We need to share hope and patience and, and, um, and, and encouragement. And we don't need to approach them with, you know, here are some you know, theological reasonings. That's not how we need to deal with that. So you have to be very, very careful but afterwards, later on, um, many, many churchgoers have had issues where the, something has happened in their life that was painful and, and there was a lot of sorrow and grief. And out of that, doubts have arisen. And many people have left the church because of these doubts, because of the, uh, the intellectual side of it. So we're going to talk about the intellectual side a little bit. We're going to go through a few reasons of you know, how we can address this. Um, and then, then we're going to talk about you know, what the Bible says. <clears throat> And these are not non-Christian uh, ways of addressing, but these are basically possible scenarios of what God might have done or why God might allow certain things. <clears throat> so, first one is uh, free will. And this goes along with that second question. And when we, we talk about free will, we say that um, 
God created us. God created uh, people. And part of creating us was giving us a free will where we could choose certain things. Now, people might quibble about what do you mean by free will, but you know, I think we have some sort of free will. And <clears throat> it's better that he gave us, he said his creation was good, and uh, it's better that he would give us free will than not, because basically we'd be robots otherwise. So if God gives us a free will, um, he must allow us to choose things. We can choose good, and we can choose evil. And we see that in the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve the free will to choose to live you know, life, and they chose, um, Satan tempted, and they chose to, bite the, uh, to eat the fruit. And that was, uh, you know, first sin came into creation. Um, would it have been better if God not allowed them to choose? I don't think so. I think, I think having a free will to be able to choose something um, is better than not having one. So we could say, you know, there's, there's evil in the world because God allows us to have free will. People can choose to do bad things, and, and so it kind of progresses throughout time. And thus, that answers kind of answers that second question, is God set, set us up to fail? No, if we have free wills, then we've chosen the things that we do, whether we sin, whether we you know, break God's moral law. And I don't think it, we can nail it on God. Um, there, there, we could also talk about what's called soul building. And basically, um, e- this is the idea that evil is necessary for the development of certain human virtues. So, let's think about courage. Uh, can be, one be courageous without facing some type of danger or fear? You know, I don't think so. I think you have to, be able, have, to have those things to be able to face, uh, to be able to de- develop that virtue. Um, do you have to have something to love to love? Um, so, uh, there's something that builds uh, love in, in your, or builds these virtues in your life. We'd also say that uh, there are goods that you can't have without evil. So, um, Say basketball, for instance, or football, or baseball. We're in baseball season. I, I don't know these things. World Cup. That's the only thing I know. Okay, without, without a loser, you can't have the World Cup. You can't win the World Cup without losing. Losing is general, generally hurtful. Hurting is generally bad. Um, so, but to have this good of winning, you can't, you can't have it without the losing side of it. So maybe God created um, a world so, and he allows evil so that good, certain goods can exist. He also, <clears throat> maybe uh, God created a world so that, that, that allows evil so that we can experience mercy and grace. So perhaps God created, um, allowed uh, death in my life so that I can experience his peace, his mercy, his grace so that it changes my life, so that I can share that with other people. Uh, and, and maybe he allows it that way. Uh, okay, the last one's going to get kind of kooky. This is, this is weird philosophical thought. It's the idea of possible worlds. Maybe there are possible worlds or alternate universes out there that God created, and in each one, there's a certain amount of evil. <clears throat> and these two are kind of combined, the last two and this one. And uh, maybe God thought about making this one, this one, and this one, and this one, this one, and he decided on the world that had the most amount of good, or the least amount of evil, and still free will. So maybe we can think about it that way. And as you're discussing this, and on the intellectual side, it's okay to discuss these things, um, those are some possible 
solutions to this this issue of uh, evil and pain and suffering and how we do, how we sync those up with the existence of God. So <clears throat> that's the kind of kooky crazy stuff. What's the Bible say about it? Well, can anybody guess where the best spot in the Bible is to who who kind of other than Jesus? Don't say Jesus. That's a Sunday school answer. Who suffered? Who exemplified suffering, pain, and suffering in the Bible? Job. All right. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Job and uh, his uh, life story, Job is a fun book to read. Well, it's not fun, but it's very interesting and thought-provoking. Some aspects of it are actually funny, some of the things that they say in there. But uh, basically what happened with Job, Job's a good guy, right? He's righteous. He's uh, he, he's living a good life, um, he's following God, and uh, things are going well for Job. And uh, the story starts off kind of odd because it talks about God being up there with the angels, and all of a sudden Satan pops up, and Satan says, you know, what's going on, God? Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Um, and God says, <clears throat> have you considered my servant Job? And, he sa- and Satan says back to him, well, you know, He's doing good, but it's only because you're protecting him. And God says, well, do your worst. Just don't kill him, and we'll prove you wrong. And so he goes, and this happens twice. He goes, and um, Job loses all of his kids. He has a bunch of kids, loses all of his kids, loses all of his his flock, all of his wealth, um, pretty much just loses everything in just rapid succession. And and eventually loses his health even. So he's not not even healthy anymore. I mean, he's just, you know, one of those guys who's just lost everything in a flash, a blink of an eye. And, and he's sick, and he's got, you know, sores all over the body, and he's you know, hurt and pain. And, um, and, you know, then everybody kind of sits back to see what, what Job does. And his wife says something just you know, amazing. For those of you who have spouses, this is not the example you should follow. And Job 2.9, it says, uh, Job's wife says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. I was like, wow, that's encouraging. No, this is not the Proverbs 31 woman. This is not the example that we need to follow either, either spouse. It's just, that's not it. Um, but she says that. And then Job has three friends that come along. And Job's friends are, seem to be pretty smart guys. And they sit, start counseling him. And they say things like, well, the innocent don't suffer uh, God just, you know, uh, you, you, God will forgive you. He will restore your, your, um, your wealth and your, and your health. He'll bring back your fortunes. And later on, they kind of changed and said, uh, well, you must really be sinning. You must have some sin in your life. You need to repent. You need to change your life. You need to you know, cry out to God. And, and they kind of go on and on, differing views. And Job just says, uh, he said, he says, you guys got it all wrong. I, I haven't done anything. Uh, he, he curses the day he was born. He mourns his loss and his suffering and even kind of gets mad at God. And he says, uh, <clears throat> kind of calls him out and says, God, you know, what have I done wrong? You need to tell me what I've done wrong. Why, why, am, I do, why am I going through all this? Why am I suffering so much? Um, and then uh, right after that, a fourth character comes in and He's a young kid. His name's uh, Elihu, I think is how you pronounce it. And he says, uh, I waited for your words because you were older and wiser than me, but 
Do you say uh, my righteousness is more than God's? That's Job 35. And then it gets crazy because God walks in. And it says in Job 38, 1 through 4, and I think I'm reading a different version that's on the screen, but um, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where where, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And this kind of goes on and on. He's basically saying, who are you to call me out? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you at the beginning when I made everything, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Stand up like a big boy and tell me. That's pretty much what he's saying. He's calling Job out. And he does this. He he goes through all of creation, all the things that have happened, all of of his planning through the years. And after he gets done, uh, and, and then he says in Job 40, he says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So he's saying, if you have an argument against me, come on, answer me these questions. And how does Job respond? In Job 42, 1 through 3, he says, Then the Lord answered, <clears throat> Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no pur- purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, you ask? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job's saying, okay, I realize that I'm not God. I realize that I'm limited in my thinking. Uh, I'm a sinful man, despite the fact that I'm, uh, I've been living a righteous life. My, my thinking isn't even, can't even compare to yours, God. It's kind of what he's saying. So, I'm not going to contest you. So, how, how does God deal with it after that? Because that's basically him saying, hey, I'm God. You, you can't even understand my plans. So, what is God's plan afterwards? We see that in the New Testament. Unlike any other religion, uh, unlike any other worldview, the God of Christianity did something rather unique. He didn't take evil away. Uh, he didn't take our free will away. He didn't say evil is an illusion. Um, he didn't say, you know, spread my word to the world and evil eventually go away. Rather than doing that, the God of Christianity became man, came to earth, and he suffered the evil that we suffer. He suffered the pain that we suffer. And um, he suffered the grief that we uh, deal with. And that was God's answer. And the reason that he did that is so that we would not have to ultimately um, deal with ultimate pain. He gave us hope for our future. So the the difference between Christianity and other worldviews is that through Christ, we actually know that this life, whether we have pain and suffering in it or not, is very limited. Compared to eternity, this, you know, 80 years, 100 years is not much. And we have hope for a new day. Um, and I know it's almost uh, stereotypical, but the, the classic verse you go to here is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
who should believe, ever believe in him should not uh, perish but have everlasting life. And that's kind of where his plan is summed up. His solution to the problem of evil it was Jesus. So, if we understand what the solution was, where do we stand as uh, New Testament Christians? Um, in James 5, 7 through 11, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of the suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider the blessed, those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the ultimate word from, from the Bible is God has a plan. Despite the fact that we might not understand all of it, he has a plan in place involving Jesus that gave us hope for a day and that we can be patient and endure. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be done. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your Son. I thank you that uh, we have hope um, when we have to deal with things that are beyond us sometimes. Sometimes emotionally and intellectually, pain and, and suffering and grief, uh, that those are tough things to deal with, Father. Personally, and as we try to share with others and try to live our lives in community, Father. And we thank you that you give us hope, that you provided for us a way that we could have hope for tomorrow and that we could endure the things that we encounter in this world, Father. We ask that for those who are, uh, who are dealing with pain and suffering in their lives, that you would give them grace and comfort and peace and patience and endurance. And for those who have other people who they're witnessing to and they're, they're ministering to, Father, that you would give us words of mercy and words of uh, love and kindness to share with others and that we, we would be a, uh, a uh, light of hope in their lives to point towards you. We thank you for this beautiful day that you gave us. We thank you for a church family. We thank you for your word that gives us hope, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.